Great worship tonight. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Acts chapter 12 tonight. This chapter, as well as many chapters in the book of Acts, are a reminder to us that God is an unstoppable God, and when you and I follow him, we are unstoppable as well, which is why Paul tells the Corinthians, God will always lead us in triumph in Jesus Christ, and that Jesus said to his church, the people of God, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And so, throughout the book of Acts, you have the church continuing to march forward in spite of all the opposition and all the obstacles and all the challenges that it is meeting. It is an unstoppable force because God is with it and God is behind it. And I hope that will be an encouragement to you tonight. I want to break Acts chapter 12 down into sort of five points. The first is I want us to see the persecution of King Herod. Notice in Acts chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, about that time King Herod laid hands on some from the church to harm them, and he even had James, the brother of John, executed with a sword. Let's for a moment talk about the Herods in the Bible, because it can get confusing. There are many of them. The first is Herod the Great. That was the one who was very upset when he heard that the Messiah was born in Bethlehem and had all the innocent children slaughtered in Bethlehem. That was Herod the Great. After Herod the Great came Herod Antipas. This was the Herod that was primarily alive and reigning during the entire earthly ministry of Jesus Christ. This was the Herod that was there at the trial of Jesus before he was crucified, Herod Antipas. This Herod is Herod Agrippa. He is the nephew of Herod Antipas. And like the other Herods, he is a very, actually, even though he is his, a leader politically, he is a very weak, insecure, and pathetic human being. He is filled with pride and even like many politicians, he just sticks his finger up and sees which way the wind is blowing as far as, you know, how the people are doing. And if this pleases the people, then this is what I'm going to do. He's not one to act on principle. He's one to act on political advantage for himself. And, and certainly in those days, uh, someone like Herod ruling where he was, I, I will admit this, they were walking a tightrope between trying to please the Roman authorities in Rome and the Roman Empire, and yet also to please the Jews. And let's face it, at this time, the Jews weren't easy to please. But we see here that in verse 3, after he executed or had James executed, he saw that this pleased the Jews too, so he proceeded to arrest Peter too. There's a crisis in Jerusalem. It's a crisis of persecution. It's being led by the leader of Jerusalem at this time, Herod Agrippa. And not only has he thrown Peter into prison, and we'll get to that in a minute, but let's go back now. He executed James. Now let's talk about the Jameses in the Bible for a minute so we can differentiate them and know who this James is. The first James I want to talk about is James, the son of Alphaeus, who was one of Jesus' 12 disciples. It's actually all we know about that James. He's not really prominent in the Bible at all. Then there's James, the half-brother of Jesus. 
the one who wrote the New Testament book of James, which, by the way, we'll be studying after we get through 1 Peter on Sunday morning. That James, the one who grew up with Jesus and was the son of Joseph and Mary. But then there is James, as we see here in verse 2, the brother of John, another one of Jesus' 12 disciples, but obviously much more prominent than James, the son of Alphaeus, that we know nothing about. This is the brother of John, the John who wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, who wrote the book of Revelation, who wrote the gospel of John, who was the John that, that Jesus entrusted his own mother Mary to from the cross, that John. This is John's brother, James. This was one of the sons of thunder as Jesus pronounced upon them in the Gospels. Remember, he, he called James and John Bonerges in the Aramaic. It means sons of thunder. They were quite the pair, these brothers, James and John. And yet, here, James is executed by Herod Agrippa. He would have probably been only in his early 30s at this point. And yet, his brother, John probably lived into his 90s. We know that because he wrote the book of Revelation while on the Isle of Patmos. So I want you to see something in contrast here. Two brothers, one in the will of God dies at a very young age, the other one lives into his 90s. And then also in this chapter, you have the execution of James, but then you have the deliverance of Peter that we're going to talk about. And we see this in life. Where God, why, why do you allow this to one and, and not this to another? Why, why is one taken so early and another one allowed to live to a good old age? And all we can say is, that's why God says, trust me. We don't really understand why. Because we don't, as we talked about before, we don't know the whole picture. We only know in part here on earth. We don't know the, the total ramifications and consequences of the wisdom of God and why God chooses to allow some things and not other things. But I want you to keep your finger in Acts chapter 12, and I want you to go back to the last chapter of the Gospel of John because this so reminded me of something that even Peter and John, again, the brother of James, were involved with with Jesus and more Peter and Jesus, after Jesus rose from the dead. I want you to go to John 21, the Gospel of John, chapter 21, beginning at verse 20. After Jesus told Peter to follow him, Peter turned around and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. That was John, the brother of James, who was executed here in Acts chapter 12. This was a disciple who leaned back against Jesus' chest at the meal and asked, Lord, who is the one who is going to betray you? So when Peter saw him, he asked Jesus, Lord, what about him? Because Jesus had already predicted that Peter was going to die a martyr's death. And notice what Jesus says. This is so important in verse 22. Jesus replied, if I want him to live until I come back, what concern is that of yours? You, Peter, follow me. I want us to focus tonight on those three words. You follow me. That's all that Jesus asks of us. <laughs> because there's going to be things as we follow him, just like God allowing the execution of this young man in his prime, 30. He still had his 40s, 50s. I mean, he, 
This James could have served the Lord all of his life. Why did God allow Herod to execute him? I don't know. But I know this. I know enough about my God that my God is all wise and he never makes a mistake. And whatever is in the will of God, it is for the best. It is the right decision. And I just have to trust God. And that's why God calls upon even his people to know him. Because when we don't really know him in his heart, we will continually throughout our lives question the decisions that he makes rather than rest in them and trust in them and have faith in him. And so at the beginning of Acts chapter 12, we have this crisis taking place in Jerusalem and we have the persecution of Herod against the church. Notice back in Acts chapter 12, we'll pick it up in verse 3. When he saw that this pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter too. This took place during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And when he seized him, he put him in prison, handing him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him. Talk about overkill, right? Who's Peter? You know, it's not like Peter was this, you know, 300-pound, you know, Samson or something. Really? Four squads of soldiers? Herod planned to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. But notice this. Besides seeing in Acts chapter 12 the persecution of Herod, we also see the response of the church. And what is the church doing? The church is praying. I want you to see that tonight. The church was praying. So Peter was kept in prison, but those in the church were earnestly praying to God for him. The word earnestly could mean fervently, intensely. I mean, they weren't just praying. They were praying. You ever been in a prayer meeting or praying with other Christians? And I mean, you're really, you're calling down the Spirit of God. And I mean, you are, you are all out praying. You're not just sort of moving your lips and, you know, going through the, the, the motions of prayer. You are praying. You are grabbing a hold of God and you're praying. That was the church for Peter. In fact, notice, we are told something else, and I'll come back to Peter in just a moment. In verse 12, when Peter was released from prison by the angel, an angel of the Lord, Peter realized finally that he had been released and he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John Mark, where many people had gathered together and were what? Praying. Praying. This is a challenge for us as a church to be a church of prayer. Jesus said, my father's house shall be known as a house of prayer. One of the things that should characterize Christians, both individually and as a community of believers, is that we are praying people, that we seek the Lord, that we call upon the Lord, that we turn to the Lord, that when anything comes in or up in our lives, we turn to God and we communicate with him and we call upon him and we talk it out with him and we seek his face. That's what the church was doing. By the way, I think it's a testimony to Mary, the mother of John Mark, that once Peter knew he was released, he knew, he knew what house he could go to where there would be a prayer meeting. Why? 
What if persecution really started happening in America against the church and against Christians? Would, would Christians, say, that had been imprisoned and released from prison, would they know what house to go to, that there would be Christians there praying for them? Do people know that they can count on us to pray for them? Do people ask us to pray for them? Because I think that the more that people genuinely know that we care and that we will be praying, the more that they will share the request, and hopefully that's mutual. That we have people in our lives that we know when we're going through something, we can call upon them and we can pray for one another. We are commanded to be people of prayer. James says in James 5, is any among you in the church afflicted? Then let's pray. If any of you is sick, call for the elders of the church. Pray. Jesus taught his disciples how to pray. Men ought always to pray and not to faint or give up or lose heart, Luke 18.1. So the church was praying. <laughs> but I also want to encourage you with this. In this chapter, there's a little bit of, of humor, if you will, because, and I'm going to come back to Peter, don't, don't, don't miss that, but after Peter is released from prison, notice what happens. He finally comes to his senses. He goes to the house of Mary. When he knocked at the door of the outer gate, a slave girl named Rhoda answered. I love the fact that this slave girl was named in the Bible. I can't wait to meet Rhoda someday. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she did not open the gate, but ran back in and told them that Peter was standing at the gate. Now notice the response. Not someone, they as a group said to her, you've lost your mind. But she kept insisting that it was Peter, and they kept saying, it's his angel. You know, it's some appearance, but it's not Peter. Peter continued knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were greatly astonished. What are we seeing here? Well, yes, we're seeing the church praying, but we're also seeing the church struggling in this case. Like many times in our lives, this whole scene can be described as, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Because there's many times where either individually or as a church, we're praying and we have the faith to pray, but then when God answers it, or maybe even answers it exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask or think, we're actually surprised. We're actually surprised that God answered our prayer. So, so you see sort of the disconnect there. God wants us to grow to the point where not only will we have the faith to pray, but we'll have the faith to believe that nothing is impossible with God. And if somebody like Peter showed up at our door after being in prison, we'd be going, well, let him in. Not, you've lost your mind. Can't be Peter. Even though we prayed for Peter to be released, we don't believe that God would really do it, you know. Isn't that crazy? Like, as Christians, sometimes we pray for something, and then when God answers the prayer, we're actually surprised that he answered it. That's what you're seeing here. But behind it all is God trying to encourage his people to be people of prayer. Because he's hoping that now that they've seen 
Peter was released that they'll keep being a church, that when things come up and things happen and just everyday life happens, that they will be people who call upon the Lord and be praying and continue to meet in houses and homes and pray together and, and meet with each other and pray over things and be people of prayer because God responds to prayer. And heaven opens up when God's people pray and the power of God and the presence of God is not only released through worship, it is also released through prayer. And so we have the persecution of Herod, but we also have the church praying. By the way, let me go back to Herod for a second, because I don't want to end with Herod. Boo, boo, you know. So the Herod that was a thorn in the side of the church, I want us to see how easily and quickly and in God's sovereignty, he just sort of took his hand and just wiped Herod to the side. Because over in verse 18... After Peter was released from prison by an angel of the Lord, the soldiers were wondering, what happened? You know, four squads of soldiers, they all missed it, right? How'd that happen? Well, we don't even know about that. Did God put them to sleep or something? I don't know, because they would have been just like at the tomb of Jesus. They would have been on watch where at least one squad would have been awake at all times. So I don't know how it happened that all four squads of soldiers missed Peter being released, but God obviously supernaturally did something. Herod thought that there was some inside job, so he had all the guards executed. Then he goes down to Judea to Ces from Judea to Caesarea, and he stays there. He's having this quarrel with the people of Tyre and Sidon. They join themselves and present themselves before the king. Blastus, the king's proconsul, wants to help mediate the situation because the country's food supply was provided by the king's country. And one day, on a day determined in advance, Herod puts on his royal robe, sat down on the judgment seat, made himself a big deal. The crowd began to shout, the voice of a God and not a man. And immediately, an angel of the Lord struck Herod down because he did not give glory to God. And he was eaten by worms and died. Gone. You see... To many people in that day, Herod, oh my goodness, you know. And to God, it was just like taking his hand and just sweeping him aside. And remember, the Bible says that the Lord is the Lord of hosts and he can even use worms. Because what really happened here is not so much that Herod's body was allowed to be eaten by worms, but that Herod actually died of a tapeworm inside of him. God even used a little worm to kill Herod. Because God can use anything. God can use bacteria to kill somebody if he wants to because everything in the universe is at God's disposal. And here's this big man, Herod, throwing his weight around, harming the church, executing people, throwing Christians in prison, and God simply takes his hand and wipes the man to the side of history and says, no more. You're done. You're done. Because he did not give the glory to God. By the way, if you read the account of this in extra-biblical historical letters like Josephus, the Jewish historian, uh, or uh, I can't think of his name now, but the, the main Roman historian, what they tell us is that Herod actually wore this silver robe that reflected the sun and made him look like the people couldn't even look at him because there was such a glare off of the silver suit sort of that he was wearing. And it was just, again, so much pride, so, so pathetic was this man 
that he took all the glory for himself and gave none to God, and God just wiped him away. So again, we see the persecution of Herod. We see the church praying, but go back to verse 6. After Peter was arrested and the church began to pray, I want you to notice that Peter was sleeping. On that very night before Herod was going to bring him out for trial, okay? So Peter knew already that James had been executed. So you can imagine, once Peter was thrown into prison, in his mind it was probably like, tomorrow I'm going to get executed too. And yet, notice what it says, three very important words. Peter was sleeping. Sleeping in spite of the four squads of soldiers, in spite of the two soldiers bound with two chains, in spite of guards in front and behind. Peter was sleeping. I think this shows the growth in Peter over the years. That he got it when Jesus said, if I want John to live until I come back, what's that concern to you? You follow me. Whatever my will is for you, life, you follow me. And wasn't it great that Peter also, in the book of 1 Peter, a verse we're going to look at in a couple weeks from our study of 1 Peter, was the one who said, casting all your care upon him because he cares for you. Peter had learned that lesson because here's a man who's in prison, has every right, humanly speaking, to be filled with dread and terror and worry and anxiety and fear and all of these things. And yet Peter was able to sleep even with bound to soldiers because he was resting in the Lord. He was resting in the will of God for his life and he totally had cast all his care upon God because he knew God cares for me. And if it's God's will, just like with James, that I be executed tomorrow, then I'm just going to bring glory to God in my death. But I'm just going to turn my life over to God because it is God's anyway. And he was sleeping. He was sleeping. Folks, what a tremendous testimony and example for us. So many of us struggle with the anxieties and stresses and cares and concerns of this life. And yet God's word says, be anxious for nothing, but in, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Jesus said, do not worry. Your father knows how many hairs are on your head. He, he doesn't even let a sparrow fall to the ground without his knowledge of it. Don't worry. You are of more value to your father than that bird. And yet so often we allow the cares of this life to rob us of our sleep and of our rest because we're all turned up inside because we haven't learned the lesson that Peter learned, which was even in spite of being in prison, he had learned to just follow the Lord and cast all his care upon him. And Peter's sleep, I believe, that night was sweet. We know that because when the angel comes in, he has a hard time waking Peter up. He's in that REM, you know. He, he's in that deep sleep. He wasn't in that surfacey where a little noise. No, he was sleeping. So we see Herod's persecution. We see the church praying. We see Peter sleeping. 
Now I want you to see the rescue of the Lord, the Lord's intervention. Because in spite of everything that Herod did, the four squads of soldiers, verse 4, I mean, just keep stacking this stuff up. Peter, two soldiers bound with chains, guards in front of the door keeping watch over the prison. In spite of all that, notice verse 7, suddenly an angel of the Lord appears, and notice a light shone into the prison cell. God's light. In this damp, dark, dank prison, the light of God is shining because God's about to do something. No prison can keep out God. He struck Peter on the side, woke him up, saying, get up quickly. And then notice what happens. Not only does a light shine, but chains fall off of Peter's wrists because no earthly chains are strong enough for God. Nothing on earth is too strong for God to release our chains from. You see, this is a great picture that God wants to set men and women free. And whatever prison others have placed us in, whatever prison we have placed ourselves in, it is the power and presence of God that can set us free. Light can shine into prisons. Chains can fall off. I love this. The angel said to him, fasten your seatbelt, basically. Put on your sandals, Peter. Here we go. And the angel said to him, put on your cloak and follow me. Peter went out, verse 9, followed him, did not realize that what was happening through the angel was real, but thought he was seeing, he thought he was probably either asleep still or sleepwalking or something. He hadn't totally gotten awake yet. And after they finally had passed the first and second guards, there's more that's stacking up, right? Not too hard for God. They came to the iron gate leading into the city, and it opened. So notice three things. First of all, verse 7, God's light shone into the prison. Second, verse 7, chains fell off. Third, verse 10, an iron gate opened. Because guess what? God was at work. God was intervening. No amount of soldiers were too, too much for God. No iron gate was too much for God. No prison was too much for God. No chains was too much for God. When God wants to release somebody, it doesn't matter how much of a hold someone else or something else or they've got in their life. God can break those chains and break down those doors and can shine his light into their life and rescue them and redeem them and renew them and restore them and heal them. And set them free. Do you believe that tonight? And finally, in verse 11, when Peter came to himself, he said, Now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me. Notice the words, the Lord rescued me. He rescued me not only from the hand of Herod, but from everything the Jewish people were expecting to happen. Yeah, God did something to their expectations, didn't he? Why? Because God has the last word. God has the last word. So in this great chapter, you not only have the persecution of Herod and God wiping him to the side of history, you not only have the church praying, you not only have Peter sleeping, but you have the rescue of the Lord. In spite of all that was stacked against Peter and against the Lord, it was nothing for the Lord to break through everything and to release Peter from prison. And finally, I want you to see 
the word of God kept on increasing and multiplying. That's the sort of the final point in the next to last verse of the chapter. In spite of everything that Herod tried to do to the church and others tried to do to the church, notice it says, but the word of God kept on increasing and multiplying. Why? Because God is an unstoppable God and his church is an unstoppable force. And when God's people follow him, we are unstoppable too. The word of God keeps on going and going and going in spite of everything that's thrown against it. Heaven and earth will pass away, Jesus said, but my words will never pass away. My word will never return void. We're going to spend a few minutes in prayer tonight, but before we do, I want you to go to all the way to the last chapter of Acts, to the very last word, or words in the Net Bible. It is one word in the Greek language. It's translated two in the English Bible. Very interesting that the last word in the Greek New Testament in the book of Acts is a word that the Net Bible translated without restriction. We could also translate that Greek word unhindered. In fact, I like that word better. I'd like you to think about that word, unhindered. It's the very last word of the book of Acts. That in spite of the fact here that Paul is under house arrest in Rome, that his ministry is unhindered. See, we... We think of things so often in our human way of thinking. Oh, my goodness, you know, the ministry of God is hindered because now Paul's been under house arrest, and, and, how things, and, and God is simply showing his people, even through someone like Peter and Paul, nothing is going to stop me. You may think because, you know, you're in prison that somehow I'm, I'm going to be stopped. No, I'm going to use your time in prison to, to magnify how great and glorious I am. And think about it. Paul wrote some of the greatest letters of the New Testament while he was what? In prison. And here, he's under house arrest, but the Bible says he was unhindered. He was unhindered. Oh, that we, the people of God, would understand that we sometimes think that the circumstances that we find ourselves in life somehow is hindering us. Oh, if I could just change my circumstances or I could just go here, grass is greener over here, if I, if I could just do that. And God may be saying, you don't understand. If you would follow me right where you are, you could even be in a prison cell. You could be under house arrest and you would not be hindered because I, God, am never hindered. You may look like you're in a box, but you're totally free if you're free in me. Because God is unstoppable, and his people are unstoppable. Well, because the church was praying, I want to end our time tonight with some prayer. And I'd like, to, I'd like to have two separate prayers for sort of two different things. First of all, let's talk about the prison. Maybe tonight, someone here tonight, you, you're, you're in a prison in a sense. Maybe it's a prison of your own doing or your own mind or whatever. Maybe it's something real, something tangible that's got a hold on you. Or, or maybe you know of somebody in your life that right now, in, in a figurative way, they're in a prison. They're locked up. Darkness has them. And we need to pray for all those who are in some kind of prison tonight. 
and believe that God's light can shine into that prison no matter how dark it is. That the chains that are wrapped around them can fall off with God. And that whatever iron gate is holding them in, God can open up that iron gate. That's the one group. Then there's another group. The group that's illustrated by Peter sleeping. Some of you here tonight or some of you that know somebody here tonight, you are racked with anxiety and worry and fear and stress and all of this and sleep is evading you and, and you're just, or someone that you know is just filled with so much and they can't rest, they can't sleep, they can't enjoy life anymore because they need prayer. They need to come to a place like Peter where they cast all their care upon him because they know he cares for them. And so we're going to pray for both of those groups tonight. And first of all, I'm going to ask Nicole. Guys, I'm going to use the mic that she uses. I'm going to ask her to pray for those in prison tonight. And then after she prays, I'm going to pray for those tonight who are struggling to be at rest and to cast all their care upon the Lord. And maybe we're praying for you tonight. Maybe we're praying for somebody that you know tonight. But as the church, let's spend some time in prayer tonight. God, we just thank you that we can come before you anytime, anywhere. And Lord, I just pray for those tonight, whether they're here or whether they're people that we know and love, that just found, feel trapped or mm. bound. Yes. Bound in addiction, bound in emotional trauma, binding of any kind, Lord, any kind of prison that they feel that they are in. God, we thank you that there is power in the name of mm. Jesus. Yes, God. There is healing in the name of Jesus. Yes, God. That your name is above all names. It is above yes. everything. Mm. And we just call upon your name. Yes, God. We call upon the name of Jesus. And we ask you bring freedom to the captives tonight. Yes. You mend the brokenhearted. Mm. God, you mend those relationships that need to be mended. Mm. And Lord, those people that need to, to surrender their lives to you, God, would, would find you. Yes, God. That you would become so real and tangible in their life. Those people that maybe we've been praying for. Yes, those people we've been interceding for, Lord, mm. for a breakthrough in their life, mm. for them just to turn their lives over to you, whatever that is, God. We just, we proclaim it and we speak it out tonight. Yes, God. That yours is the kingdom and yours is the power and yours is the glory forever. Amen. Amen. So, God, we just call every situation to come under your name, mm. under your authority, mm. under the power and the blood of Jesus. Yes, God. Darkness has to flee. Yes, God. God, will your light shine through mm. to all those dark places in our hearts and in the hearts and lives of those we love? Mm. Lord, will your hope arise, mm. your freedom arise? Your strength arise, God. Yes, God. Mm. God, we just thank you tonight that 
we can be here together in, in this free country and, and come and worship you and read your word, God. And I pray for those that we know that maybe can't or won't. God, we ask you to bring freedom to all to know and love you mm. and to come in relationship with you, Jesus. Mm. So we just surrender all of this under your name, under the authority and the power of who you are. Mm. We just say, have your way in our lives mm. and in the lives of those around us. God, that we just choose to walk out every, every moment in the calling that you have for us. Mm. Not worrying about what tomorrow holds but being able to stand firm in, in where we are in this moment, mm. that you have grace for this moment, that you have peace for this season. Mm. And God, I just pray that you would raise up in us prayer warriors, mm. that we would pray for ourselves, we would pray for our families, we would pray for our coworkers and our loved ones and all those we come in contact with, even at the grocery store or the gas station, God, but we would be people of prayer. Yes, God. People who are just so confident in who you are yes, God. that we're not afraid or ashamed to pray for any and every need that, we, that comes up, that arises, that we know of, God. Mm. We would stand firm in the truth of who you are and who you say you are. So, God, we just thank you for that tonight. We just surrender all this under your name. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Father, as we continue in prayer, I, I felt it just so necessary that I be the one to pray for those that are struggling with anxiety and, and stress in their life. Because, God, I stand before these people tonight as an example and as a testimony of one that you've delivered from that. One who at one time in my life, sleep was stolen from me. That I could not rest. That my heart was filled with, with anxiety and, and with cares and with worry and with panic. And yet, God, you are a God that can deliver us from these things. You are a God that can give us sweet sleep at night. That, Lord, we can lay down our heads on our pillows at night and we can be at rest no matter what our circumstances. Not because of our circumstances, God, because of you, God. Because we trust you. Because we know you. Because we know you love us, God, and that whatever you are choosing in our lives, it's for our best. And that, God, no matter what we go through, nothing can ever separate us from the love of God. No matter what it is. And so, God, I pray tonight for any who, like Peter, may be in a, a figurative prison, some kind, of, some kind of situation or circumstance in their life, God, and something's got a grip on them, and, Lord, it is filling their hearts and filling their minds with such worry and such care that, God, they can't rest, they can't sleep, they can't function. God, I was there totally paralyzed by fear, God. And yet, God, when your light came in, when your deliverance through the power of the Holy Spirit came in, Lord, I can testify it went away. It went away. Because when God comes into our life and, 
and we allow him to heal us and transform us, God, it's not a partial thing. It's a full thing. It's a complete thing. It's something that certainly, God, we've got to be aware of and that we've got to be on guard of for the rest of our lives because it could come back. But, but God, when you bring your light into our life, it's, it's for real. And we can fully rest in you. And so, God, I pray tonight for anyone here, for those that we know, God, that sleep is, has evaded them for a long, long time, good sleep, restful sleep, that, God, you would give them a good night's sleep tonight. God, that they would realize that they can just totally put all of the weight of their life, their entire life on you, and you've got the shoulders to bear it. That, Lord, no matter what the weight is, God, you can bear it. You can bear those burdens. That's why you tell us to cast all, not some of our care, all of our care upon you. Because your shoulders are big enough to handle it all, not ours. And the psalmist even writes it, day after day, God, you carry our burdens. God, what an amazing God that we don't have to carry the burdens of life on our own and on our own shoulders because you never intended for us to do that, but you've intended for us always to cast our care upon you, to let you be our burden bearer. And God, if we trust you to bear the burden of our sin on the cross of Calvary, then any other burden is so much less than that. Can we not trust you to carry those burdens too? So God, whatever those burdens, whatever those weights are, God, give us the faith to literally take them off of our shoulders and throw them over on you tonight and be at rest and be at peace and be able to enjoy the peace that passes all understanding. That's where Peter was in that prison cell. That's why he could be asleep in spite of the four squads of soldiers and the two Soldiers that were chained to him and the soldiers in front and behind and the iron gates and everything, God, that was stacked against him. He could sleep because of his faith in you. God, I pray that that would be the case for all of us tonight. That as a church, we would be at rest in you. As individuals, that we would be at rest in you. So, God, we end our night in your house by thanking you for being a God that is there for us when we call to you in prayer. And know, God, and believe that you answer our prayers and you hear our prayers. And we are believing and trusting in you, God, tonight to do miracles, to do things, God, in people's lives that only you can do. And we are asking for all this in the matchless and powerful and wonderful name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Folks, God bless you for being here. We'll see you next week.